My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, welcome to the Post Credit Pod. We are excited for today. We've got a cool interview with Mark Strong, legendary character actor, who is also in Cruella. We're going to jump into our thoughts on that and just Disney's whole live action reimagination strategy, which has been a point of contention, speculation, and interest for about a decade now. So Eric, I am excited to talk with you about it. Before we get into that, though, we do got to hit some pressing news of the week. First of which, Amazon has renewed the Wheel of Time for season two before the series even premieres, Eric. So clearly, one, they have a lot of confidence in this show. But Sue, this is one of the many big budget home run swings Amazon hopes can kind of be their Game of Thrones. You know, they're spending a billion on the Lord of the Rings. They ordered a pilot for the Dark Tower, Stephen King's uh, awesome series, but they passed on it because it sucked. Uh, Tales of the Loop didn't pop quite as much as hoped, but it's definitely solid for any anthology sci-fi fans out there. They got a big budget Ringworld series coming out. So Eric, they're really pushing for that kind of home run swing, broad appeal hit that like Stranger Things is or The Mandalorian is to their respective streamers. It's pretty wild to watch both Amazon and Apple who are similar in ways, not quite the same service, of course, but the same in terms of the global impact they have. Just throw cash at this, but in different ways, right? Like as you talked about last week, Apple TV seems to be going for prestige, yeah. either film titles or film creatives, where Amazon seems to be going directly for that IP, right? They want that. Which speed. is funny because they actually had to had to pivot because first they were kind of all about these niche successes, you know, Transparent, big uh, Mozart in the Jungle. Yeah, Big Sick, which which all were, were, were very good to varying degrees, but weren't brought a heel brought appeal hit. So Jennifer Salky took over, I believe in 2018-ish, 2017-ish. And she's like, we're, we're going to do a little bit of both. We're going to shoot for some Oscars, but we're also going to really try to take some swings. Well, and what's IP, baby. Fascinating about the three shows that you've just, uh, is Ringworld, is that out already or is that coming out? No, it's coming out. And like, just like Wheel of Time based on a, you know, a beloved so you rattled off. series. You just named three IP shows. Uh, and there's more coming. That's just off the top of my head. You know, right. they got like Snow Crash and, and a couple others. So, I mean, to me, that is absurd that they are. In, I mean, I guess it's not absurd because they can, right? It's absurd. It's absurd in terms of that they are doing all of this at once, right? Like they're not waiting to see yeah. how one how, how one or two of them go first. Oh, let's see how Lord of the Rings does before no. we start going nuts. I've it's never, like a buckshot, you know, shotgun yeah. blast. Of, yeah, of and I guess content. I guess well, what they're thinking if they if they fire off six, if they hit on thirty three percent of them, like is that a successful rate? I, I think as long as Lord of the Rings hits and a billion dollars isn't wasted, I feel like they'll be like, yeah, you know, we're good. What would even determine success for that? I mean, so season two of that has already been green greenlit, I, I assume, right? So so it's, it's not confirmed, but what has been reported is that one of the reasons Amazon won the rights in a $250 million deal just for the rights I think it was the more than that, dude. I think it was half a bill for just the, the lights. The, the licensing rights are $250 million. First season's $450 million. And, and one reason why is because apparently they might have committed to a five-season, $1 billion total order, potentially. Wow. 
So that's what's been previously reported. We'll see, you know, as the details come out more clearly. And while I just spoke on why I think it's a risk, here's why I think it's smart, right? Game of Thrones, which we talk about a lot and how we aren't as hard on it as most have been in the years since, reverse engineered my interest in fantasy stories. Like I didn't care about Lord of the Rings until after Thrones. That's really cool. That's a nice way to get into it. So now that they, so they, so they don't need the proof of concept because HBO has done that for them. The key is, is the IP as good as Game of Thrones? Lord of the Rings, absolutely. But stuff like the Wheel of Time or Ring Worlds, there's a very chance that those could go the way of Tales of the Loop. And, you know, Tales of the Loop I only heard of because my boy Matt Reeves would tweet about nonstop. But beyond <laughs> that, I don't think it has made a cultural footprint. I agree, even though it's solid. And so, you know, like this could go one of two ways, right? Are they creating a bunch of Stranger Things is or Shadow and Bones? <laughs> and they That's- definitely hope the former based on the price tag. Yeah, so we'll see. I, I mean... It is just once again, just like we talked about the way in which films are being rolled out. Companies this big throwing these amount of dollars at properties and projects like this as a fan of this shit is super exciting. Yes, you can complain about the inflated capitalism of it all, right? It's just like, I mean, you're throwing out absolutely (laughs) absurd numbers that like break my math dumb brain like what do you mean they spent 500 million dollars on a show before airing a single fucking (laughs) episode i mean it's unbelievable but as a fan of this shit you got to be excited about what is truly the dawn i think of the next streaming era like streaming 2.0 like the walking dead and game of thrones in 2011 i think was the nexus point of transitioning from peak tv era to the blockbuster tv era and that certainly comes with a ton of drawbacks you know a a show that is as truly beautiful as something like rectify doesn't really have a space to exist anymore but for anyone who likes ip who likes big budget home run swings you know we're living in in a golden age it'll never be better than it is right now and then you know you even like pivot that to what hbo max is doing right or what they said they were doing before this whole fucking mess um how when they when they are making a franchise film, they think about, okay, how can we, we make a spin-off show for this? Okay, yes, you do risk the oversaturation and just lower quality of, of the playing field as a whole, right? But Gotham PD spin-off series applying that to all of the various IP applying that way of thinking to all of the various IPs that they have is an exciting prospect we'll know in these next five years whether all these gambles are going to work or if it's going to reset the market in a sense that i mean you would know about this more than me if these price tags are worth it and it's going to be very interesting because a lot of people will either be promoted or fired as a result (laughs) all right sticking with hbo max quickly it has cast Jeremy Irvin as Alan Scott in the Green Lantern series. He is apparently the OG Green Lantern. He's also a, a gay character who I think was hiding his sexuality in like the 1940s. I, I'm not entirely sure because I genuinely don't know a lot about outside of like the Hal Jordan, John Stewart Green Lanterns. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm not a Green Lantern guy, but I know that the only two I've heard of have yet to be cast in the show. <clears throat> they're, I mean, they're, they're saving those two for the movie. Oh, so 
Uh, Hal Jordan and John Stewart will reportedly, according to what has already been reported by other outlets, not be in this show at all. I didn't, oh, see, that's fucking insane to me. I didn't even know that they were doing it. So what, the film, is anyone even attached to the film at this point? No. Yeah, so, all right, <laughs> fucking forget about that. That's Fugazi, it's Fugazi, it's fairy <laughs> dust. I mean, that's what that is, right? Every fucking project that DC announces, quote unquote, is absolute fairyland until it's a tangible thing. So I agree. if I were them, which I'm not, but... I would be building around, I would be building this flashy green lantern show that mainstream fans have heard of. Yes, I'm sure Alan Scott and the first guy that they cast. Guy Gardner. And, guy Gardner. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a couple other characters who comic book fans know that I, I don't, I, I know Guy exactly. Gardner. Exactly. But I, I didn't know any of the other ones. But the point being is like, sure, comic book fans are geeked about this, which all yeah. respect to them. But that's not going to get you over the line, especially with the price tags that we talk about with these shows. So, you know, sure, I'm excited for the show just because I find the idea of like intergalactic space cops to just be a very awesome thing. Like that's just an inherently cool idea. And especially like the way in which the ring operates and finds a new owner and how it's sort of like a Thor's hammer-esque construct. Yeah, that's a good comp which is always cool. So, you know, but again, it comes down to how much faith do we have in DC to pull, pull it off at this and point, I, you know. I'll also say it's it's being created and executive produced by Greg Berlanti, who's prolific. I'll give him that. But varying <laughs> degrees. <laughs> yeah. But varying degrees of quality. And I, yeah, I really like Love, Simon, but I think the Arrowverse is laughably bad. Yeah. And he's the guy architect behind that. So we'll see. We will see. Yeah. Uh, Bad Boys for Life directors Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falal, and I apologize if I'm butchering any of those names, are going to direct a Batgirl film for HBO Max. I also want to say, originally, one of the trade reports when they first broke Michael Keaton's return said there were there was talks of him also being in The Flash and Batgirl. So there could be some interesting connectivity there if Wait, that still who stands. Being in the flat? Wait, who, who, who? My, Keaton? Michael Keaton's Batman. We know he's in the Flash, but at the time there was also talks of him potentially being in Batgirl as well. As again, as we've discussed, like the Nick Fury role of kind of right, mentoring right. a lot of different people and projects. So, you know, I, I I don't think Bad Boys for Life is that great of a movie, but that's I think it's more script than direction. So yeah, I'm fine with this. I mean, they probably should have gotten a woman to direct it if you're going to oh. make a Batgirl movie. Yeah, but what's interesting is that these guys were also given Miss Marvel. Yes, good point. So maybe word on the block is that that's very good. So they're so DC is giving yeah. them something sort of in that lane. Because that is um, midway through production, I believe, right? It's done. Miss Marvel. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. It, 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 it just wraps like two or three weeks back. So Boom. I'll point out one quick thing, but that I want to ask you about the ins and outs of this. Uh, it's going to be the Barbara Gordon character, not Kate Kane. So yes. does that, it, and I, I have questions about, is this in the DCU? Is this in the Batman's world? Is this creating its own world? Is Jeffrey Wright going to be Gordon? Is there <laughs> going to be a new Gordon? Uh, just a whole bunch of fuckery, right? This is the price you pay with the multiverse. Even I'm confused at this point. I mean, it'll become clearer once they announce yeah. where the film is going to fit in. But what I want to ask you is, what do you think about the fact that it's an HBO Max ex- exclusive? I, I think I, I clearly would have seen this in theaters. I think something like this could have succeeded in theaters. 
I do think you like they put birds of prey in fucking theaters, but you're telling me you're not, you're not going to put Batgirl in theaters. It's insane. <laughs> I, I think potentially, you know, they're thinking about eliminating risk while also um, powering their, their streaming service and try, yeah, trying to get subscribers. But I also want to say, because we're so early in this process, they could change their minds, you know, especially with all that's going on with Warner media, which again, we'll get to quickly. But this could change any day. And they could be like, okay, we're going to do it in 45 days in theaters. And then it's going to go to HBO Max or something. So I wouldn't take anything that's said now as 100% guarantee. At right. all. That's, that's sort of the bottom. We, we could end every conversation about DC with that, with that sentence right there. It's so true. Sadly, so <laughs> true. All right, but let's stick with DC. New animated series, Batman Cape Crusader from J.J. Abrams, Matt Reeves, and Bruce Timm. And my adventures with Superman are coming from HBO Max Cartoon Network. Pretty cool, Eric. Pretty right. cool. Hold on. I want to pull up the exact quote that they... Uh... They, I know that they talked... So for, for the Batman one, they talked about just a reimagining the Batman mythology. And the fact that they got Bruce Timm, who, who anyone who, who loves DC animation, he basically started the world with Batman the Animated Series. He is considered like the guy... The Godfather. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so so that level of talent is really cool. And then the My Adventures of Superman was was a was a cool concept. I like the animation. They're they're young 20-somethings. They're figuring out with Jimmy Olsen how to be reporters and like young adults while he's also like emerging as Metropolis's hero and maybe a hero to the entire world. So I'm I'm so on board with both of these. The Batman one to me, what's fascinating is A, that of course Bruce Tim is involved, but specifically they name checked the animated series in the statement saying quote batman the animated series was a masterpiece that shaped the perception of the character for an entire generation of fans Facts. it is in that spirit that we are bringing together ba 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 so point being is is this like not a direct continuation but a thematic one like it, it, like how like i think are, based on are, the are we expect, like i'm taking i'm taking this as this saying we are reimagining this show for this time i don't think it's a continuation i don't think it's going to be connected to batman the animated series but i agree that stylistically and thematically it will probably share some dna i, I think bruce tim at this point wants to do something different in the dc animated universe and this is his way of of still borrowing the elements that made the animated series so iconic and so definitive while remixing it for a new generation and yeah, taking and a new I'm, spins on the characters. I'm obviously gassed for this because I think that as a Batman- Wait, 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 fan, you're gassed for a highly hyped Batman project? I'm shocked, Eric. <laughs> so shocked. Well, I beyond just the baseline of it being Batman, what I want to say about it is that like the reason that Batman, the animated series to this day remains such a hit is because it is like- the closest you could get to the daily it, adventures of him, right? Yeah. So the idea that they're doing this in 2021 with the updated tech for this seems like it's going to be an, an adult show just because the, they stuck the names like Matt Reeves on there. But remember, and, it's from and, also Cartoon Networks, right? I wouldn't expect us to, like, you know, an R-rated Batman. Yeah, but Cartoon Network throughout the years has put out varying degrees of childlike Batman shows. I think that this will be on the more teenager scale than the like. Yeah. Which I hope to, yeah. yeah. So all that combined, it's like, all right, you know, outside of a dope Batman film, which we're hopefully getting, this to me is the next best thing. I'm, I'm pretty excited. 
there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool IP content like we can't like we talked about coming and as you know I'm a huge Superman fan as well as being a huge Batman right. fan so I'm all in. All right, now let's zoom out a little bit for the macro Warner Media discussion quickly. Earlier this week, it was reported that AT&T is spinning off Warner Media to merge with Discovery Inc. in a $43 billion deal. Now, we don't know at this time exactly what that means for the every, everyday average audience member, like, you know, you and I. And I don't know what listening. this means, period. So <laughs> give us a quick explainer. No problem. So... AT&T three years ago acquired Time Warner for 85 billion plus. In three years, they ran the newly branded Warner Media basically into the ground. Not, that's a little unfair, but essentially they failed. That, that is what this is. They, they did wow. fail. It didn't grow their telecom business as they hoped. HBO Max launched way softer than expected. And even though it's growing, it's not growing nearly as quickly or rapidly or strongly as its rivals, such as Netflix and Disney Plus, particularly in the pandemic. So Eric, what this is, is a way to create value for shareholders outside of AT&T by spinning it off into its own thing while maintaining uh, an ownership stake. But essentially what this is, Eric, we fucked up, we lost money, and we're waving the white flag. That wow. is kind of what this is by AT&T, which has made disastrous moves over the last six years with, like, with DirecTV and everything. Now, what this means for us, like, you know, the consumer, that remains to be seen because we don't know how Warner Media's HBO Max and Discovery Inc.'s Discovery Plus will be used as streaming service. Will it be a Disney bundle? Will it be one mega service like Netflix? We don't know, you know, what, what David Zasloff, who runs Discovery Inc., who's a great executive, but we don't know what his, his plans are necessarily for like a Warner Brothers pictures and, and things like that. But essentially, I think from my outside perspective is that we'll probably get a little bit less clusterfucks of like, we're going to do this. Nope, wait, we're immediately pivoting to that strategy. And I think Hollywood creatives will be able to make the Hollywood creative decisions a little bit more. Uh, AT&T, obviously, as we've just discussed on this podcast, they invested billions and billions into content and franchising and a lot of cool things, but they never really had a grasp for Hollywood business. So I think this might be better long-term for our content absorption purposes. In what way that actually filters out, you know, how we're going to be accessing HBO Max in a, in a two years, I don't know. Great, because I got nothing to say about this except for the fact that step one should be changing the name of HBO Max. Well, they're going to change the name of the whole company now. Of HBO? No, no, I mean like Discovery and Warner Media are are they're discussing new names for their combined company. So in, in a five, six year period, it would have gone from Time Warner to Warner Media to like Disco Max or whatever the fuck the next name is gonna be. Oh, that sounds horrible. Yes, yeah, sh- shout out to all the that. SEO specialists. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Fucking I yeah, shout out to the SEO specialists. All right, let's move on to our quick hitters. Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder's zombie heist original movie is now on Netflix after premiering in theaters a year a week ago. We actually had a great interview with Zack Snyder on last week's podcast. Please go check that out. 30 minutes of deep dives into this man's psyche. So if you're at all interested, go check it out. Uh, Friends, the reunion released its first trailer for HBO Max. It arrives on May 27th. Am I a sucker for being easily manipulated by you know elder millennial nostalgia absolutely do i still want to see it absolutely can't hate uh leslie odom jr and kate hudson have joined the cast of knives out 2 which continues to just look like it's going to be bonkers on paper i love it 
John Boyega and Joe Cornish are reuniting for Attack the Block 2, which is a cool kind of move for an under-the-radar sci-fi flick from a few years ago. Injustice Gods Among Us, the popular video game, is going to get an animated film at Warner Brothers Animation. Season 2 of FXX's Dave is going to premiere June 16th. Ryan Reynolds and Rob Michelini, which I'm probably mispronouncing, have announced the FX docuseries Welcome to Wrexham which looks like a cross between Sunderland till I die and Ted Lasso. Did I, did I say that right, Eric? You did. You did. And this looks, so they, what they did is they bought a Welsh football team in like the fifth league, like, uh, you know, just a very small club for, I don't know, a few mil. And they're going to, and they're trying to like blow it up and scale it up and make That's it cool. a powerhouse club. It's in like a working class Welsh town. So the, docuseries i take it is and from what i've read and heard about is that it's going to be about like their crash course and owning the team and and like the day in and day out of shit like that's pretty cool actually i kind of like that yeah all right i'm into that and i hope soccer heads get a kick out of that yeah all right shuma garath is rumored to be the main villain in doctor strange and the multiverse of madness i i have no idea who that is or if i even pronounce that correctly (laughs) me either but let's keep fucking rolling with it it's a power, she is, he or she, uh, it is a powerful, sometimes stated to be omnipotent and ancient demon that possesses fast supernatural power. Like, I, I kind of hope this is just a flex, be like, oh, you still think it's Mephisto? Fuck y'all. <laughs> well, I think when I read up these quick few things about it, it does sound like for a film that has the title Madness in it and is going to be like a demonic sort of vibe, this guy sounds sort of on point. So I, right. I bought it. Plus, it would be a flex to just be like, fuck y'all. Yeah. So it's considered to be one of the primal powers of chaos, was stated to be the greatest of the old ones. In his native dimension, he is virtually unstoppable. Given his past reformations, it is, un- it is unknown if he can ever truly be killed. All right, that sounds pretty cool to me. Doesn't that sound in the multiverse of madness-esque? Yeah, I mean, if, if you know, chaos, madness, like we definitely need some, some gonzo stuff going on. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'm into it. All right, Eric, let us move into our quick thoughts on Cruella and our larger discussion about Disney live action reimaginings. Uh, now for everybody listening, the actual review embargo of Cruella doesn't lift until May 26th. So we're gonna give our kind of brief, vague overview thoughts of the movie. And then we're gonna move into our more specific conversation. But Eric, to start, I wanna hear what you thought of Cruella as someone who is probably not as interested in Disney live action reimaginings as I am. Yeah, for sure. So let me start off by saying I just did a quick look of the ones that I've seen. I've seen Beauty and the Beast because my girl Emma Watson is just must watch. Um, facts, facts. And that's it. That's the that's, only one you've seen? Yeah, that's the only uh, I'm looking right now. I haven't seen Aladdin. I haven't Jungle seen Book, Lion Aladdin, King. Lion King, Christopher Robin. Christopher uh, Robin. I haven't seen any Alice in Wonderland. Alice. The Jungle Book I may have seen. Jungle Book, I may have seen, but those two, that's it. So, because while I'm a Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar guy, unlike our friends at the Diz Insider, I'm not a Disney guy. Like, I don't really care much about the OG Disney type stuff. But that's what I think about works about this film. So just to be extra careful, I'm going to read exactly what I put out in my tweet. (laughs) I'm actually doing the same thing with with a couple extra (laughs) add-ons. Yeah, so I said... Don't sue us. Yes, that. But all right, I tweeted this. Let this be clear. Uh, Categorizing. Yes, which was lifted four days ago. Yeah. So, um, categorizing, or even more, maybe I don't even know. 
point being is categorizing Cruella as great isn't hyperbolic because I thought it was great. It was incredibly directed and crafted. It wouldn't shock me if it scored best production, best costume, and best makeup Oscar noms. And well acted. Everyone is having fun and that imprints itself on the film's DNA. The soundtrack is great. I thought the way that they use dogs is adorable and inventive yes. and not and not too in your face. I thought the humor and the whip was sharp. But most importantly, and, and as I just teased, I thought the IP was irrelevant. This movie stands on and can be enjoyed on its own. You know, like the She could have been anyone. Yeah, exactly. The 101 Dalmatians of it all doesn't really matter. And then, of course... But they do it, they they infuse it without like being obnoxious about it. Yeah. And then of course Emma Stone and Thompson are the best part. They're just a blast. I I completely agree with everything, pretty much everything you said, Eric. To me, and this is again reading our tweets, Cruella is messy yet scrumptious, unwieldy yet vibrant. Its plot is definitely all over the place, but every single department from acting, directing, editing costuming, production design. They are just slinging an enjoyably lurid punk rock attitude. It's colorful. It's in your face. It's enjoyable. And unlike some of the soulless cash grabs and bland literal translations that make up the majority of Disney's live action reimaginings, if we're being honest, Cruella really manages to conjure up like significant distinction as a product all its own. Uh, I think it's overly long at like more than two hours. But it's rarely dull. And like you said, the Emmas are having a ball hamming it up. Uh, I think I, I disagree with you slightly. I think there's too many needle drops in this, which results in the film feeling over-stylized at time. But this is still a slightly more mature, slightly darker Disney tale than its predecessors, which I really liked. And Cruella, to me, is someone who goes from wanting to climb the ladder to knocking it over and letting anyone above her plummet all the way down. And that was just a cool transformation and arc to watch. And easily, I think the best of the Disney live action reimaginings. And again, this had either Oscar nominated or Oscar winning people as actors, you know, you know, directors, editing, sound, costume, production design. They had just a ton of talent from cast to crew. And I think that's for the most part, evident on the screen. I mean, if there's a way to build a good film, that's it. <laughs> oh yeah, get, get a bunch of talented people to do the work. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but I wanted to talk about Cruella a little bit to kind of be our launching pad for this larger conversation about Disney. Everyone has an opinion about Disney in terms of entertainment fans. It is polarizing to some. But to me, li- they're live action remakes, sequels, prequels, reimaginings, whatever you want to call them of classic animated tales is really right now it's only homegrown in-house blockbuster moneymaker and i'll explain that for people who are going what are you talking about over the last 20 years disney has tried and failed to launch several new franchises with very expensive misfires such as john carter the lone ranger tomorrowland a few others But with its live action recycling strategy, it's found a new division of highly profitable and often artistically bankrupt blockbuster films. And this comes as opposed to what Disney is known for, which is Marvel, Star Wars and Pixar, all of which are studios Disney has acquired over the last 15 years rather than created all their own. So, Eric, if Disney is going to do this, I'm glad they're starting to take them 
more seriously. You know, Barry Jenkins, who, as when we were talking about the Black Superman film, is one of my favorite filmmakers. He's doing a Lion King prequel. Uh, again, A-list cast and crew for Cruella that feels very different from the previous live-action reimagination. Lion King prequel just make you roll your eyes? Yes, until it's with Barry Jenkins, because I think he's a truly special filmmaker that will do something different. And I, and I do think it's rich text, right? Like the OG story of... It's Hamlet with animals. Mufasa and Scar, yeah. right. So, yeah, but like I said... You know, I've never been a Disney guy before. I've got a list up quick of the films that intrigue me that they've got. Yeah, because I want to hear what do you want to see moving forward from this division? Because it's not going away. Disney is very much counting on this as, again, their homegrown moneymaker. You make a good point about The Lion King, again, in terms of the talent involved. But because of the IP itself, yeah, and I know this is almost like sacrilegious to say, but I don't really care about Lion King, you know? Like, it's CGI lions at the end of the day. And yes, you could make it... <laughs> Hamlet all you want but when I know at my core that you are just sucking every ounce of IP dollar that you can out of this childhood classic that's gonna bother me right Cruella I found unique was because it's about a human being right it's about a person and that's where I think they have more leeway to make these yeah. films something a little more upscale and by the way don't don't see John Favreau's The Lion King if you haven't already because a you're not into it too the animation is great, but it is, I think, their most egregious soulless cash grab. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it's not good. So, and that it's, is particularly it's fine, but it's, I'm indifferent towards like Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Aladdin, and Jungle Book. They're all varying degrees of fine, but essentially, I'm like, why, why does this exist? Now, which is why I think Barry Jenkins can actually make it a point. So, let's read off the films they've got on the way Little Mermaid, Jungle Book sequel lion king sequel aladdin sequel snow white hunchback of notre dame rose red which is i don't know what that is which has to do with seven white and snow white but isn't snow white bambi and hercules there are a couple there that do interest me number one snow white Oh, that wow. is I, I was not going to expect that. Well, think about it. Think about what I said about Thrones, right? That is sort of a route for them to make a medieval, you know, white knight sort of saving the, you know. Uh, Sword and sandals. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Next one. And I think this has the potential to really be something. The Hunchback. That's a heartbreaker right there. Those yeah. elephant man. Bro, I once tried to watch that as a kid because my parents used to Hunchback get Hunchback or Elephant Man? Elephant Man because my parents used to get some sort of weird joy out of showing me things too soon like Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction. Uh, uh, my dad used to love to make me watch Poltergeist. <laughs> this was one of them. I couldn't get through two minutes without bawling my eyes out. It's tough. So that's where I drew the line. I was like, and enough of this shit. <laughs> I just want to say since we are fans of bro crushes on this site, on this podcast, I saw Bradley Cooper and Elephant Man on Broadway, and it was one of the most phenomenal acting performances I've ever seen. Oh, he he uses, there's zero prosthetics. He just contorts his body and face. The whole, it's ex, an exhausting performance. It's amazing. Oh, um, wow, that's a flex. Very Seriously, nice. he was really good. Um, I can't even, like, my brain goes off track because I get just so upset thinking about it. <laughs> Point being is, right, like, if Disney, if they uphold this creative integrity that we're talking about now, that has the potential to be a heartbreaking tale and something yeah. special. And then 
Hercules, you know, because of course, you know, I mean, produced produced by Joe and Anthony Russo. But beyond that, what else? What else could not be said about him? You know what I mean? I, like, I love Hercules. Literally one of the most iconic. Is he? Is he a Greek god? Yeah, he's a demigod. God figures, probably the most like recognizable Greek gods in the West. So an underrated animation movie so, in the so, annals of Disney yes, history. Yes. Uh, so those would be my three. I like that. See, I, 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 that was unexpected from you, which I like. And I like that this also reinforces a consistent theme of Postgred Pod, which is deep underneath. Eric Italiano is just a big softy, which I love. I love that, buddy. I, I, I got to cut this shit out. I'm getting found out. I'm getting found <laughs> yeah. out. I'm getting exposed. <laughs> nah, man, you're getting exposed for being a real person. And that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so for me, this is, this is a kind of a handful of, of different things. Like I, what I want to see moving forward from this division, I would love to see some sort of expansion of the Atlantis films, which may have never been like their biggest blockbusters, which are some, but are some that I really enjoy. So whether that be live action remakes or even continued animation on Disney Plus, I'd love to see something in that realm. Uh, Joe and Anthony Russo have discussed how they're going to quote expand and build end quote on the original animated Hercules in the live action uh, live action adaptation that they're producing. And they don't want to do a quote, literal translation end quote of what came before. So that says to me that they're absolutely looking to remix the animated movie in a fresh way. Like we talked about with Cruella, like we talked about with, you know, getting someone like Barry Jenkins, going about it in a way that's not just like, hey, if we do a shot for shot remake, we'll make a bunch of money. That's what I want to see. That's that's great that they're thinking that. Um, I also think Pocahontas could be something of a Katniss Everdeen or Ray sort of figure with the right story around her, which I would really like. And would be great to see that kind of diversity on screen. And then just to kind of wrap it all up, as we have said on this podcast a million times, Lightyear, the Toy Story spinoff with Chris Evans is an extremely exciting way to continue with a high profile franchise name in a new and unexpected, exciting way. So find those creative side doors into these live action remakes and continuations and revivals. Tweak the formula so it's something familiar, yes, but really a Trojan horse for something new. Your note there made me think, do you think that they ever get into the business of live action Pixar films? I think anything is possible in capitalism. Let's put it that way. I know. I mean, that's where this is going, right? How many, uh, like, have they just not had that idea yet? I don't want to say it too loudly in case they they may hear me. You know what I mean? Because, like, at that point, they're like, wait a minute. What if we just put a cowboy hat on Tom Hanks? (laughs) I'm kidding. But I did think, like, a live action Wally would probably be pretty fucking good. So... I worry that that's where we're headed. On a long enough timeline, probably. Like what you just said, keep tweaking and doing this and doing that. That's where all this leads, right? To the proliferation and diversification of the same IP over and over again. Yeah, and that's that's where that's why I love this kind of blockbuster era that we are in. But I don't want to lose sight of the smaller, more intimate, more original, creative tales because we can't squeeze those out of existence, or we will spend the next 100 years recycling our own libraries ad nauseum. Well, I'm fascinated to see how they treat Searchlight in these next few years. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they want Searchlight to provide Hulu with some exclusive films. They said in the next year, I believe it's 15 or 20 films that they're, they're developing for Searchlight, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, their recent earnings call. So there'll definitely still be, be going on that. But let's just hope the creative spirit isn't lost in, in, the, in this race for our IP. Funnily enough, I asked Mark Strong about that exact thing. Perfect segue into our interview with Mark Strong, co-star of Cruella. He's been in the Kingsman franchise. He was the bad guy in, in Shazam. So really excited for you guys to hear what he has to say. All right, folks, today we are joined by Mark Strong. You know him from appearances in his films such as Zero Dark Thirty, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Kingsman, and Shazam. You can see him next as John the Valet and Cruella when it hits theaters in Disney Plus on May 28th. Sir, how are you today? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's an honor to speak to you. I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, congrats on, on the film. I loved it, uh, despite the fact that, you know, I'm a 28-year-old dude, so I doubt that I was the film's target demo, but... I really found myself enjoying it, grinning ear to ear. So I want to talk to you about your performance. This is a movie with a lot of over-the-top characters and performances in a good way. I think that's what makes it fun to the point that your character is basically the only one that isn't this sort of larger-than-life creation. So when you're in a film, does the extraness of other characters influence how you play your role? Are you trying to feed off their energy how does that impact the way that you play a role when everyone else around you is so outlandish really good question i mean when you do theater for example you rehearse together you know you have a four six or eight week performance schedule so that you can all uh work out what the other person's performance is going to be when you do film you literally arrive on set and you have no idea what the other person is going to do all you can do is prepare the stuff that you've done bring to the table what you want to bring and hope that it kind of fits. I mean, you have a, a brief moment to maybe run the scene before you do it. And the director obviously can push or pull as he sees fit, but yeah, you have to kind of, you have to kind of make it up on the spot. But I always knew though, that those characters were going to be larger than life because that's the nature of the film. And um, Craig Gillespie, the director, he said to me, listen, your guy is going to be, mysterious he's going to have a presence we don't really know what's going on with him he watches he listens pretty much like british butlers or valets traditionally do and that's going to be the vibe of your guy because as you know know having seen the movie there's something that happens in the movie that's kind of very relevant later on and until that point you don't really want to know is this guy a good guy a bad guy who is he well, I think that's the genius of casting you because they're sort of playing with type, right? And the expectations that we have of you. You're somebody who could play a menacing villain and a warm father figure. Does either type of role stimulate you more creatively? And how does an actor maintain that believability where they could flip back and forth between those two very distinct type of roles that I've seen you do? I... I have to confess, and it obviously feels really weird saying this, but I prefer playing the villains. You know, I prefer the bad guy roles. I, I think the, the lovely father roles, I mean, they're great, but I can do those in real life. You know, I have some, so I can be a lovely father at home. I can't threaten the kids. I can't <laughs> exorcise, you know what I mean? 
I can't exercise that inner anger and rage and, and evil and nastiness. I mean, it's almost like therapy when you play a part like that, because you're basically doing something that you don't get to do in real life. So it's fun. You know, we're, we're in the world of fiction, so it's fun. Um, and I, I, yeah, I gravitate to those parts. And also because I find often they have the best costumes and the best lines and they have really good storylines. You know, they're, they're, they're just great fun. I don't choose them because they're villains or bad. I choose them because often they're the most interesting. If you think of, you know, I don't know, Frank D'Amico in Kick-Ass is a kind of interesting part to play right. or, you know, so, uh, or Sherlock Holmes, you know, the, the Blackwood was, was interesting. They just happened I to be I love you in that. Um, oh, thank you. To, just, just to play off sort of how you choose roles. I find that Cruella, and you could expand this to your work in Shazam and Kick-Ass and Kingsman, these are franchises, but just because something is a franchise and based on IP, doesn't mean it can't be wildly creative and inventive. So does creative integrity factor into your choices when taking on a franchise role? Yeah, I mean, if you can have that opportunity to do that, then it makes the whole thing much more interesting. What you don't want to do is be shoehorned into something that's just going to be turned out um, and you're just part of a team or a machine that's going to run for years and years doing the same stuff. You kind of want you know, something to be a little bit different. And, the, the, you know, I feel like the stuff that I choose to do, whether it's the big studio pictures or the little indie movies or even theatre, it's all about variety for me. That That's the issue. That's the key thing. When I started Definitely. out- As I was actor, going through your films, there's no, and, you know, as I just said, I've seen you do the sort of warm father and the outright villain, but there is no one Mark Strong role. And I think that comes very clear across when you, you know, go through the films that you've done in the last 10, 15 years or so. Great. Well, that, that's been um, an active, active choice because as an actor, when I started out, I wanted to kind of do everything. And once you've played something, you want to have a go at something else, you know, and, uh, and I can use theatre. And I mean, in TV, I'm doing a series at the moment, which is my own show. And oh, it's probably awesome. the closest. It's called Temple and it's on Sky in the UK. And I think it's on uh, Charter in the US, but it's, um, it's the closest to me, probably, that I've ever had to play. And it's, you know, it's tricky because you're, you're, you're just being yourself more than anything. What I well, love I gotta is, say, your real voice is a lot less scary than it is in films. Yeah, well, you know, I have a little microphone that's right here and I get to drop my voice and I get to go back. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You can do all of that sort of stuff. Um, so um, I work, it, oh, sorry, Mark, go ahead, please. No, I was gonna say in real life, obviously this is, this is me, this is how I sound. Um, so I work for a site called Bro Bible. So I would be hung by my thumbs if I didn't ask you about this. Do you, are you aware of how many grown men out there were emotionally affected by your death in Kingsman 2? And do you remember <laughs> your reaction the first time you read that script? Yeah, well, I, I, well, first of all, what happened was Matthew Vaughan rang me up before I'd even read the script. And he said, listen, I think, you know, this is what's going to happen to Merlin in the second film. And I was like, OK, well, if you feel like that's that's what needs to happen, then so be it. And when I got to then read the script and when we got on set to do it, that was the way it was going to be. But remember, it was written by guys. You know what I mean? Mark Miller wrote the original, Matthew right. Vaughan. Um, although um, Jane Goldman had a hand in it, I think it was very much a kind of, you know, it's a guy's death, isn't it? I mean, not only does he get to sing Country Roads, do it, that he gets to nut some guy halfway through just to remind you that he's really uh, Well, and I think a lot of the reason that it works is because, as I brought up a few times, you know, your ability to play this warm father figure you know that's it right there um i find that 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 scene more than most and you know not that all guys are rough and tumble but rarely will you get them to be like that scene had me bawling 
Every yeah. single one of my friends is like, man, that death in Kingsman 2 gets me every time. But they are a gang, aren't they? Those guys that, that, that you know, Harry, um, uh, Eggsy and Merlin, they're a team. They yeah. come through the whole of the first thing. They come through the whole of the second. They are, they're interwoven with one another in right. their lives. And that is the moment of kind of ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, love that. Um, so I'm going to ask you about a film that I hope you aren't asked about much today. When do you think Sunshine 2007 is going to get the credit it deserves? Because, man, that is one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. And you're terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Well, the interesting thing about that was Danny Boyle I'd worked with. I'd done a play with him and I'd done a, something on the television with him. We'd never done a movie together, but he got me in and he said, um, I'm doing this movie, but I don't really know what part. You know, I want you to be in it, but I don't really know what part. I said, has anybody bagged that, that pinbacker part? He went, oh, no, I think that's we're going to just get a stunt guy to do that or something because, you know, he's covered in burns. and stuff. I went, no, no, no I, I, I want to have a go at that one. Because when it was originally in, uh, written in the, in the script, the idea was that he was almost transparent so that when you saw him, he was like, um, he was just sort of burning, you know, but you could see through him. No kidding. But when, they, but when they got on set, what they realized was in order to sort of dim the lights to make the UV work so that you could see that effect, there wasn't enough light to film the scene. So it became very complicated then. Danny had to make a choice about what to do with, with Pinbacker. And a bit like the shark in Jaws, he kind of realized you've got to try and not see him too early, you know? And the, actually the first scene when you first see Pinbacker in that sunroom is the best. Oh, moment, and it's the I presence think. of Pim that's so scary, right? Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. All right, Mark, real quick, because we got to wrap up. I want to ask you something about your life itself. Uh, I've read that you're a Arsenal fan. What do you yeah. think about the protests and the sale of the clubs? Because football is my sport, so I'm really tied into this yeah. stuff. And I'm just curious what you think about this. It's just interesting. That, I mean, the Super League for a businessman makes total sense. So if you're Stan Kroenke or, or the Glazers who run Man United, <clears throat> to have a Super League makes total sense because all of the people around the world, they want to watch Barcelona play Chelsea and Real Madrid play Arsenal. You know, they want to watch those teams playing each other. You don't necessarily want to see Burnley versus Fulham. No disrespect to Burnley and Fulham fans, but you know what I mean? <laughs> so business-wise, it makes sense. What they didn't take into account at all is the fact that it just wipes out everybody else. If you're not one of those teams, everything else suddenly in that that in the game becomes right. of so little interest. All of those fans, all of those right. players, all of those clubs become second rate. And they didn't really factor that in. So it's great. not a great idea. All right. Well, Mark, thank you for your time. Great work on the film. Great work in general. I'm a huge fan. Hopefully the next time we cross paths, I could speak to you a little bit more because this has been a thrill. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thanks, pal. Nice to talk Please. to you, man. Take care, Mark. You too. You too. And that'll do it for us at Postgred Pod this week. If you liked it, follow last at Postgred Pod. Last three weeks, folks. Josh Dumel, Zach Snyder, Mark Strong. We're coming. I mean, we're coming. And we got some interview requests for Fast Nine people and everything. So we're going to try to keep it coming. Loki's coming up. Let's go. Really just excited. Not out Loki. there. Just don't out there. Black Widow. So a lot of stuff coming up as my man B was just trying to say before I cut him off, which is my no, favorite. Man. No, man. No, you, you, you were, you were, you were hyping our track record recently. Uh -huh. So that's always uh, worth it. Rate, review, subscribe, leave us a review. We need them. 
We need them. It helps with our SEO. So if you like yep. it, just you know, hit us up with a couple of reviews. It takes two seconds. Uh, yep. All right, y'all. Talk to you later. Until next week. Peace. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs>